In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we have been studying Paul's application of sound doctrine to different groups within the church. That older men, older women, younger women, young men and slaves are all to live godly lives. But in verse 11 to 15, there's a transition. Paul now explains why Christians are to live godly. For, because, the grace of God. And so all the practical instructions of verses 1 to 10, these exhortations... These requirements, these expectations, we are to live like this because of the grace of God. And the grace of God is the foundation in three ways. In verse 11, grace is the cause of godliness and salvation. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. So the grace of God causes it to happen. Secondly, the effects of grace will always, always, always produce godly living. The grace of God teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. But then thirdly, grace gives us motives or encouragements to live godly. And he gives two encouragements. Encouragement number one, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, the second coming Encourage us to live holy. Second encouragement, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So Christ's redeeming work on the cross motivates us to live godly lives. So brothers and sisters, Why are we all to live godly? Because of the grace of God in our lives. Since these are such tremendous themes, I want to preach three sermons on these three aspects of grace. The cause, the effects, the encouragements. And so this afternoon we begin with saving grace as the cause of of godliness and salvation. And in this text, verse 11, we want to look at three things. One, the God of grace. Two, the cause of salvation. And three, the appearance of grace. First of all, the God of grace. Now this word which we can read, grace, Very familiar to us all. It's possibly the most used word in the Bible 
outside of God and Jesus Christ. We use it for the names of churches. Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace Baptist Church. We say, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. We say, we come to church because in the church we have the means of grace. And in worshipping God, we say, I am so thankful for the grace of God. So we use this word a lot. But what is grace? What is grace? I believe you ask most evangelicals and reformed, they'll get the basic understanding correct. Undeserved favour. Unmerited goodness. Free gift of salvation. And these answers are correct. However, often in the church, both evangelical and reformed, people speak of grace in a wrong way. And I believe there's two ways Christians tend to use the word grace in a wrong way. The first wrong way is to speak of grace as if it's something else other than God. So we speak of grace as something that God has or possesses or is able to give. It's external to him. And then he gives grace to people. That's wrong. Or we speak of grace in an impersonal manner. As if grace is a thing or an it. Protestants sometimes speak of grace as if we're Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics teach that grace is like a spiritual substance that's infused into the soul and then enables you to do something. So we speak of grace like it's electricity. You can't see electricity, but it is some kind of substance. And when the substance of electricity goes into something electronic, it enables it to do something. And so therefore we speak of grace like some sort of substance infused into us. These two ways I've mentioned are very popular ways we speak of grace, but they're actually wrong. So what is grace? Grace is an attribute or perfection of God's essence, whereby he delights according to the good pleasure of his will to sovereignly, freely and bountifully Communicate the gift of goodness to another. Grace is an attribute or perfection of God's essence, whereby he delights according to the good pleasure of his will to sovereignly, freely and bountifully communicate the gift of goodness to another. That's grace. 
So not three things about grace. One, grace is God himself. Grace is not an it or a thing or a power or a force. Grace is God himself. Exodus 3, 19. I am the Lord, I am gracious. Psalm 111, 4. Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious. 1 Peter 5, 10. The God of all grace. See what these texts are teaching us? Grace is God himself acting in grace. And so the whole undivided, simple, eternal, unchangeable essence of God is grace. Peter van Maastricht, in his second volume of Systematic Theology, says, Grace is doing something freely by pure, unadulterated good pleasure. Grace cannot but belong to God because goodness belongs to him. And a will that is freely And independently communicative of itself. And so also of love. Oh, the benevolent and beneficent propensity as it dispenses good things freely and independently and thus is called grace. Was God gracious before creation? But there weren't no sinners. He wasn't saving people before creation because no one was created. So was God gracious or did he have to create in order to be gracious? Did he need human beings in order to be gracious? No. But grace is God himself, an attribute of God. So in eternity, if God would never create a single soul he would still be gracious. As the Father, Son and Spirit subsist in the one will and delight to freely, bountifully, sovereignly, independently communicate goodness within. So grace is not it or a thing or a power or a force, electricity. Grace is God himself acting out of freeness, independence and liberty. Secondly, the nature of grace. Since this is God, grace therefore is sovereign, free and bountiful. Grace is sovereign. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. The pleasure of God's will is the sole cause and motive of grace. Within the Godhead and without the Godhead. He is sovereign in his grace. He will show grace according to the pleasure of his will. 
Grace is therefore free without conditions. By its very nature, Romans 11.6. Well, the Apostle Paul says, If by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So, if someone ever says, God is gracious because as we will cooperate or work, he responds to that and gives grace. That's an oxymoron. That makes no sense. Because grace, by its very nature, is without works, without merit, without deserving, or without the will of the other. It is simply a God, freely, unconditionally, pleased to communicate goodness to another. And grace is bountiful. Bountiful. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Remember, God is grace. Can you measure God? Is there a limit to God? What's the amount of grace? The amount of God, which is infinite and incomprehensible. We use illustrations like we have in the um, uh, series with Joseph of the storehouses of grace and the innumerable grain and bread that was produced, the sand that is on the, the sea and the stars in the sky. That's completely inadequate. God's whole infinite being is grace and therefore he gives infinite grace towards others. So what is grace? Grace is God himself acting freely, sovereignly and bountifully as he pleases. So brother and sister, when you think of grace, don't have that Roman Catholic mindset as if it's a substance. Don't have that mindset, it's something external to himself. But grace is your God, because he is the God of all grace. Secondly, the cause of salvation. The cause of salvation. Look at these words here. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. Those two English words, bring and salvation, translate out the one Greek word. The Greek word means salvation, but because it's an adjective which qualifies the word grace, It is saying grace, salvation, which doesn't make sense in English. But the idea is grace is producing, causing, bringing, accomplishing salvation. And salvation here, don't just think justification or forgiveness of sins. Salvation is the whole 
work and benefit of salvation from beginning to end. From election to glorification and absolutely everything that's needed in between is included in this word salvation. And so grace here is personified because it's the grace of God. You notice that? Grace of God is a genitive of possession here. It's God's grace brings full, complete salvation. That's what it's saying. Which means this. The sole cause of all salvation comes from God acting in grace. So we are sinners. We're under his wrath. We cannot do any works. We have no free will to freely choose God. God's grace comes and shines forth and says, I will act freely, sovereignly, bountifully, and I will provide absolutely everything you need and give it to you as a free gift. Let's think of that from a Trinitarian standpoint. Because the God of grace is a triune God of grace. So God the Father is going to sovereignly, freely choose undeserving, demerited, hell-deserving sinners and save them. He's going to elect them and give them to the Son. The Son receives them as their surety, their mediator, to accomplish everything that's needed for complete salvation beginning to end. And it's all on him. And then he'll give that entire salvation as a free gift. And then the Holy Spirit takes that accomplished salvation and he is the one who'll give it to the sinner as a free gift. That's salvation. And when you read your Bible and look at the beginning to the end, it is wholly, completely, solely by the grace of God. Election, chosen in eternity to receive full salvation. Romans 11, verse 5, according to the election of grace. So why is it Craig Scott is chosen for salvation? No works, no merit, nothing that I do, not my upbringing, not my free will, nothing that I may potentially do. Wholly according to the good pleasure of God. And insert your name. Why are you chosen for salvation? The good pleasure of his will to give you as a free gift. What about our effectual calling? When the Spirit comes and unites us to Christ so that we would have life. 2 Timothy 1.9 God 
hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So when we are under the general call of God in the preaching of the word, why is it John believed in Christ, but Robert did not? Grace. Grace. Why was it Jane and Rachel were brought up in the church? Rachel believed and repented, but Jane did not. The good pleasure of God's grace. Regeneration. The only way we can ever have faith or repentance or have a spiritual life as if we are regenerated and raised from death. Grace. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ by grace. So it's not... If I hear the word and I'm intellectually persuaded that it's true, then my will helped, guided by grace is able to cooperate and choose Christ. Absolutely not. But I'm at the bottom of the sea, lifeless and dead And God's gracious hand comes up, brings me to life. What about the faith? Ephesians 2.8 By grace are ye saved through faith. It is the gift of God. So everyone should be called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You have the responsibility to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not to wait for a whisper in the ear, say, now's the time. You are always to respond and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. But how is someone able to do that? When God says, according to the pleasure of my goodwill, by grace, I give you the precious gift of faith. And you only know you have that gift when you exercise the faith. What about justification? To be declared in the sight of a holy, holy, holy God that we're righteous forever and all our sins are pardoned. Titus chapter 3, verse 6. Sorry, verse 7. Being justified by his grace. Free gift. What about adoption? Why is it some people are sons of the devil and others are sons of the Father in heaven? Ephesians 1.5 The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. 
What about holiness? What about sanctification? What about killing sin? What about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Acts 20, 32. Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and be sanctified. Grace. We'll get into that much more detail next time on the effects of grace in verse 12. What about persevering to the end and then glorification in heaven? It's all of grace. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Think about what's needed in perseverance. Knowing the truth. Abiding in the word. Abiding in Christ. Coming to church. Killing sin. Putting on the Lord Jesus. Making the right choices. The right decisions. Living for the glory of God. The devil. The flesh. The world. And we're all to do that in human responsibility. But it's not based upon our human will. It's wholly based on the grace of God. And what about going to heaven? The glorification of the body. The glorification of the soul. Going to God's eternal abode. All wholly, solely, completely the grace of God. Now you would think this is the most wonderful news. And therefore all human beings would run to this gospel. But actually, it's the most despised of all truths. Because what does God's grace, the sole cause of all salvation, really mean? Nothing of you. Absolutely nothing of you. You can't contribute, you can't earn, you can't work, you can't deserve, you can't be worthy. Nothing of you. And man, in our sinful nature, will not have that. What you're saying that I'm not good enough. What you're saying there's nothing I can do. Natural mind finds this completely offensive. Just go witness to any atheist out there. Why do we have the Reformation? So for this issue. Roman Catholics and Protestants both agree on the necessity of grace. Roman Catholics are not Pelagians. They completely believe in grace. You read any of their documents, you read any of their catechisms, it's grace, grace every sentence. But here's the dividing line. Sola gratia. Grace alone. Is salvation all of grace or grace and our works? The Protestants say grace alone. The Roman Catholics say grace and works. And there's the dividing line. Or why are we called Calvinists? Why are we called Reformed? Because there was opposition known as the Remonstrants in the Netherlands, which produced the canons of Dort. Arminians, 
and reformed. And Arminians rejected grace alone. They believe in grace plus the human will cooperating. Grace alone is the most offensive doctrine there is because it's saying man has no worth, contribution, help, nothing in salvation. It is wholly and entirely and solely the grace of God. But once this grace has come into a sinner's life, you don't think anything the negative I've just said, but you're like, I am what I am by the grace of God. I absolutely love the truth. It has nothing to do with me and wholly by the grace of God. Do I believe? Yes. Am I to repent? Yes. Am I to do many things in the word of God and obey? Absolutely. But what's the cause of all these things? The grace of God alone. And we love it. Grace is the sole cause of salvation. But thirdly, the appearance of grace. Here it says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Appeared here is the word epiphany. You might have heard that word. It means to reveal, to manifest, to show forth. It technically actually means to shine light in the darkness. And it's in the aorist tense, which means something that happened, an event in the past. Look at that for a moment. The grace of God that brings salvation was revealed at an event in the past. The grace of God came to this world. This is speaking of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, which means his whole Simple, undivided being is grace. And grace was incarnate 2,000 years ago. That's why this word is used in its metaphorical sense in Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The world's dark, darkened by sin, darkened by death, darkened under the wrath of God. And then light, the God of all grace himself came to this world. There was no obligation to come. There was no law that said he had to come. But out of the good pleasure of his will, he sovereignly, freely chose to come into this world. 
Jesus Christ, he himself personally is grace. John 1, 14. Verses 14 to 16. Three times it teaches us he is grace. He is grace. He is grace. The word was flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. Wherefrom his fullness. The law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Paul says the same things in Romans 5. Verse 15. The grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. He is the gift who came to this world to accomplish the fullness of salvation and give it as a free gift to his people. He comes and does not need to come and obey the law for our righteousness. But he freely chose to do it. He did not have to come and satisfy God's justice to pay our debt. But according to the good pleasure of his will, he freely chose to do it and then give it to us as a free gift. And you think about the whole scheme of salvation, which we've already considered. It's Christ. What does it mean we're elected by grace? We don't deserve it, but God the Father chose some humans and says, Christ, you'll represent them and save them. What is effectual calling? But saying, here are branches who are fruitless and dying and decaying, grabbing them and sticking them into the true vine. There is no such thing as righteousness or sanctification or glorification. It's Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 For in Christ he is to you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Because what does it mean you're justified by grace? Christ's righteousness on your account, though you don't deserve it. What's holiness? You don't deserve to be holy because you're unclean. And God says, I'm going to take Christ's holiness and the Holy Spirit is going to conform you to his image. What is glorification? We have no right to have our souls sinless because we're polluted. Our vile, weak, fallen human bodies have no right to live after death. And God says, I'm going to take the pure soul of Christ and your soul is going to image it in perfection. And his glorified body, which he earned through perfect obedience, I'm freely going to give to you because I'm going to fashion your vile body into his glorious body 
You have no right to live in my home, says God. But because in Christ you are, you're more than welcome in my home, not as a guest, but as my sons. That's grace. And so the grace is God. All of salvation is accomplished by him as a free gift and appeared 2,000 years ago. And then it says, all men. Now there's a grammatical debate here and if if you have a, a King James Version, most likely in your columns, your reference columns, you'll see an alternative rendering. Because in the Greek, it could either be the grace of God that brings salvation to all men or the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So the great debate is, is it salvation to all men or is it appeared to all men? And it's really hard to make a decision. I don't think you can make a decision. It's very hard. But it doesn't really matter which way, to be honest. Whether God saves all men or whether the salvation appeared to all men, it has the same end product. But what does it mean by all men? Well, let's not, our theo- let our, let's not let our theological presuppositions force anything in the text. That's to show irreverence to the word of God. My theology comes from the Bible. And if this means literally that salvation does come to all men without exception, I will stand up and I will preach it no matter what. That's not what it means though. All does not mean all all the time, it's context. So when all the world was taxed in Luke chapter 2, we all know that means context or the Roman world. What's the context here? Titus, go apply sound doctrine to all the kinds of men in your church. To older men, to older women, to young women, to young men, and to slaves. Why are they to live godly? Because the grace of God that saves has appeared to all men, whether they're old or young, Male or female, bond or free, this grace is for all men in the sense of indiscriminate. All kinds or sorts or categories of men. Which means the grace of God is for everyone to be received. But here, it speaks of the gospel coming to men who receive salvation and are changed. In Acts 20.24, Paul says, The ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the grace or the gospel of the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1.14 And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith. So, the grace of God 
that brings salvation and was incarnate comes to all men through the gospel of grace. So the preaching and teaching and witnessing and evangelizing of the good news of the grace of God comes to men (coughs) and God saves. Now think about the experience of that of everyone. Because everyone who's a Christian has this testimony. Your experiences are different from each other. But your testimony is the same. We're born in darkness. We're sinners. Undeserving. Unworthy of anything. And God says according to the good pleasure of my will. I'm going to freely, sovereignly and bountifully save you. And so in the preaching of the gospel, grace is proclaimed. And the Spirit of God now enters your soul. And the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness shines in our hearts and gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit takes out your heart that is above all desperately wicked and gives life in cleansing new heart, new mind, new thoughts, new desires, new affections, and a new will. And he gives you the gift of faith. So as you hear that good news of grace, your faith says, no righteousness of my own, no works of my own, no contribution of my own, holy of Christ. And faith takes its arms and wraps itself around Christ and says, you, Jesus, alone. Not you, Jesus, and my works. Not you, Jesus, and my baptism. Not you, Jesus, and my church. You, Jesus, alone are my grace. And then he completely does everything for us and in us for salvation. Some applications. Completely and utterly depend on God's grace alone. All of Christianity is summarised in this. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Charles Spurgeon. When we put our foot... Upon the threshold of glory and pass through the gate of pearls to the golden pavement of the heavenly city. The last step will be as much taken through the grace of God as was the first step when we turned unto our great father in our rags and misery. Left by the grace of God. For a single moment, we would perish. We are dependent as much upon grace for spiritual life (coughs) as we are upon the air we breathe for this natural life. And isn't that the truth? Absolutely everything is completely on him. We have responsibilities and duties 
and we'll preach about them next time. We will not neglect them. But these duties and responsibilities can only be done wholly under the grace of our God. And you and I, we can depend wholly on his grace. Why? Because he's unchangeable. Remember, grace is God himself and all his attributes are himself. So his grace is eternal and unchangeable. So we can depend upon him. Secondly, we can depend on him because of his promises. First Corinthians 9. <coughs> Sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Always having all sufficiency in all things. There's a promise. God is able. God is able and all sufficient. Third reason why we can depend upon his grace. Because grace is wrought in Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He has said to you, not just Peter, but to you, I have prayed for you. Therefore, your faith will not fail. His atonement and intercession is invincible. And so we can all depend on God's grace alone. Second application, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Second Corinthians 6.1 We then as workers together with him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. You can receive the grace of God in vain by being under the offer of grace and not responding by faith. So on judgment day, God says, I condemn you to hell for your sin. And I gave you offer after offer after offer of a free gift. And you did not respond in faith. So those of us who are in the house of God and being blessed by offers of grace, by the pulpit, by books, by the Bible, by family worship, by one-on-one witnessing, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Believe in Christ and you will receive grace. How is this church going to be built Think about the mountains around us. Atheism. People who are just full of pride and self-righteousness and religiosity. Who are we? Who are we? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. He shall bring forth the headstone, shoutings, cryings, grace, grace upon it. The only way this church is going to be built is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Final application. Praise God for his grace. Theology must always lead to doxology. God saves us wholly by grace so that he receives all the grace. 
All the glory, sorry. 2 Corinthians 4.15 For all things are for your sakes, so that the abundance of grace might, through thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. When a Christian's praise is not full of joy and fervency, it's because they've taken their eyes off grace and put some eyes on self. And the wonder and the beauty and the freeness and the splendor and the depths of grace is at the back of the mind rather than the front of the mind. But when we stop as Christians and truly consider what is grace, how can we not but worship him, give thanks to him and give all glory to him? Amen. May we all know grace as the cause of our salvation. Let us pray. Lord our God, we simply bless thee for grace that thou art the God in thy whole being freely, sovereignly, independently, bountifully acts in grace and gives all salvation to us as a free gift. We humbly thank thee. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let us conclude by praising God in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Verses 8 to 12. The tune is Weatherby. 8 to 12. Note the promise of verse 11. For God, the Lord's a sun and shield, he'll grace and glory give and will withhold no good thing from them that uprightly do live. Let us praise the God of grace. Psalm 84, 8 to 12, standing if we're able.